Welcome to the fee-for-service tennis podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Today's guest, Dr. Ben Burke, it's an old friend with a ton of information. And Ben has written his book that we talked to him about and encouraged him, but he was determined. He knew he was going to write it. We just gave him a little nudge. That's all. The Dropping Dental PPO's Playbook. It's going to be available on Amazon. It's printed copy. Ben also is available if you want him to look over your numbers and give you a a, a consulted service uh, in helping you, you know, see yourself steer from the from the forest from the trees. So take advantage of that. As always, our podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach is excited to announce a first major advancement in fluoride varnish treatment. It's called Profacil. No longer any alcohol or resin. Instead, patients will feel their new treatment delivered in a muco-adhesive dimethicone gel. Try saying that three times fast. Leaving a smooth, silky, lubricious feel. No more grit. Contact Kettenbach today for more details. Call 877-532-2123 or visit KettenbachUSA.com. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today's our guest, an old friend, Dr. Ben Burkett. We've had him on a few times and he's talked a lot about the math and the statistics and the numbers behind getting out of dental PPOs and insurance plans. And if you don't, if you remember, I did encourage Ben to write a book. I did. I did encourage him. And he did write that book and it's called the Dropping Dental PPO Playbook. And if you're watching it, you can see him holding it up. It's It's going to be available on Amazon print version, November 14th. And welcome, Ben. Looking forward to this. Thank you. Yeah, this is, I attempted to write a book a few times before and kind of got stuck a few times. Um, but honestly, your the fee-for-service uh, Facebook group helped a lot with this because when uh-huh. I posted graphs and I got feedback, um, you know, and questions or people pushed back on certain ideas, um, and even some of our, uh, you know, podcasts and our conversations, um, that kind of changed what was in the book to kind of make it, I feel like, more coherent, more comprehensive because um, I've been working on this these ideas off and on for quite a while, um, but to kind of make it in a manageable, understandable kind of uh, manner was a bit of work. But I feel like I got there. I'm, I'm happy with the end result, um, and I'm, I'm excited for this to come out. Publishing a book is difficult. Um, there's a lot of editing, formatting, and headaches, and but I got through it, um, and it should be out on the 14th. Um, if you guys know Ben, you know that I'm sure – Every detail was meticulously cared for and and very well thought out. He's a very thoughtful young man. So, uh, and I feel I can say that because I'm a little bit older. So I can say young man. 
don't take offense. Uh, gotcha. Very thoughtful, well thought out young man who who really puts his heart and soul into it. And the other beautiful thing is you believe this. This is authentic oh, yeah. to you. you well, know, I'm in it. Like, I'm I'm in it too. I'm, I'm exactly. I'm not 100% fee for service yet. Um, I mean, I know from our previous podcast we talked. I was a network with just about everything. I was under Connection Dental and a bunch of the big names: Cigna, MetLife, Delta. Um, and I've been able to filter out a very large portion of that. Not 100% there yet. Um, you know, I follow. You know, I eat my own cooking, so I follow my own methods and determine when to drop a PPO based on my own math, my own logic. Um, you know, I know the emotions of dropping a plan and seeing this schedule get lighter um, and some of the fears and anxieties to go with that. Um, but luckily, because I have my own charts and stuff, I can lean back and be like, all right, schedule's a little slower, but collections are up 5%, 10%. I'm okay with that. You know, mm -hmm. oh, I have to leave at four o'clock instead of five. Oh, that's really not terrible. You know, I'm still making the same amount like that. Oh, we're going to do long lunch today. Oh, let's do a team training. All right, let's just take everyone out for a two hour lunch to kind of build up camaraderie, <clears throat> you know, because the schedule's lighter and like, well, collections are the same because we're not writing off what we used to. Um, and so that's not always a bad thing to have where you don't feel like you're on a hamster wheel. I don't know if some of us like crave that because they get so used to it. Um, but right. when you're mm -hmm. writing off half your fee, you, you could see half the patients and still do just fine. Yep. So we're going to talk about our, ver we're going to talk about some real, real examples. And Ben has a, we'll call it a, a real example. It's an amalgamation of about four or five people who reached yeah. out to Ben where he did some analysis for them. And we're going to go through that in a little bit more detail, but yeah. let's start out with, and we were talking a little bit before on the show was why let's talk about why drop insurance. So, I mean, there's obviously the financial incentive for the doctor. Um, you know, being kind of in with these insurance plans, if you're writing off 30, 40, 50, even I've seen 50 plus percent, um, you know, there's obviously a clear financial incentive for that. But, you know, m money's great. I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, it's not useful. It's not a tool in your life for either retirement, but it's also like, how can you support your team? What additional CE can you do? You know, how can you ex make these, you know, with a lighter schedule, I can make my appointments 10, 15 minutes longer, get into what my patient's know, want, need about their mouth and have a better long-term outcome. So my office, I do see a lot of kids. I'm a general dentist, but I do have a reputation for being great with the kids. And, you know, part of my mission is to help raise a generation of kids who aren't terrified of the dentist. You know, we'll get a lot of kids had a bad experience someplace else. I do offer some sedation options. We fix them up. Um, you know, I've seen some like kind of heartwarming things where like some kid, they were going to the dentist for two, three years, multiple pain abscess, but they never complained about it. And they weren't gaining weight. They weren't, you know, developing like they should. And after, you know, we fix them up, all of a sudden they're not in pain anymore because that was their baseline was pain. And they just didn't know how to communicate it. And, you know, I'm talking about a five, six year old, not, you know, like a teenager. And then all of a sudden they get to the appropriate weight because they were avoiding food, um, particular like harder foods, you know, their vegetables and whatnot. Um, but in order for me to offer that service and be as comprehensive as I want to be, um, you know, I have to have the appropriate amount of time. My staff has to have the appropriate amount of time. You know, if I have downtime between patients, I can go up and look up an article. Um, I can, you know, take an online course um, to try and expand my skill set, you know, and not worry about, you know, am I, can I pay rent this month? Um, because I have that additional flexibility. Um, and you know, obviously there are things like getting out of debt, supporting your retirement, bonuses for team, 
Um, and just that sense of security, like you have a little bit of a cushion to sit on. Um, and then other, nothing other than, I like about it because other, other, oh. other than the fi financial part, what 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 are yeah. you know some of the some of the issues that you're going to talk to the patients about? I mean, I find sometimes if you talk about the finances, <laughs> patients tune you right out because you're the rich doctor, no matter yeah. what you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus, hey, this is a quality of care issue. This is a me and you issue where we have someone else making your decisions that mm -hmm. may or may not have your best interests. And that's who that I now have to deal with because it's I, I am contracted with that insurance company. Yeah. How, how, how do you talk about that part of it? So, you know, if you're contracted with certain insurance companies, it might be funneling you into doing a procedure a certain way so that you can maintain profitability with it, you know, or, you know, with, you know, co-pays or anything The you know, can't you just fill it, doc, instead of, you know, like, you know, this should be a crown. I remember I had a guy come in, he had a big MOD on a premolar, you know, lingual cost completely broken off. You know, he, he's just like, well, just fill it, just fill it. I'm like, I can't fill it. You, I know you think filling is going to solve your problem, but you know, the crown is going to be the right solution here. Um, you know, and she's like, he's worried about coverage and all these other things. I'm like, I'm not going to do patchwork dentistry. I'm not going to do something that I feel is going to fail you in three months. And then you're going to come back, you know, mad at me. You know, I want to be able to do something upfront, comprehensive, you know, talk about your needs and like, you know, be able to do it in a way that, you know, it's going to last you. You want a tooth. You don't want a filling. You want a tooth you can chew on is really the, you know, we don't, we, we kind of sell a service, but they're, they're buying an end result. You know, the mm -hmm. patient are, and they, they want to be able to smile. They want to be able to chew. They want to be out of pain. You know, that's what a patient's buying from you. Um, but, but yeah, see, having, see, you know, sorry. In, in your scenario, the patient, mm -hmm. you have two things there. You have a patient mindset. Yeah. And you also have an insurance carrier that's in the middle there. So yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. It's partly the insurance, it's partly the patient, it's partly their marriage, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you're you're telling them, listen, you have a broken arm, you need to put it in a cast. Yeah. And they want you to, mm -hmm. to just put some scotch tape on it. You know? Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's 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 un uncertain really where that lies and, and i think the more you talk the talk walk the walk you're going to mm -hmm. have patients that really understand that and then appreciate it and value it and you're going to have some that are not they just want i listen i just want to go in yeah i want to be here 10 minutes and i want to walk out with a filling and i don't want to pay any money yeah um but yeah i, I guess yeah what you're saying is like to be able to provide that full set of care that you actually want to or you're not necessarily concern what insurance is covering. I mean, we still submit the claims and all uh, yeah. for anything for things we're at a network with, you know, try and facilitate the process as much as possible. Um, but it does change, you know, help to change your mindset of how you're presenting the case, how you're presenting the information to the patient. You know, like for Perio, I always talk about it, how, you know, this is the foundation to our house. We can't worry about painting the walls before we fix the crack in the basement. And so we need to have that solid foundation. We got to clean up that perio before worrying about, you know, they want that crown, that aesthetic thing um, or whitening or whatever. I'm like, I can't start on these other things until we, we fix that foundation of the house. Then we can talk about building an addition, remodeling the bathroom, you know, however you want to kind of phrase it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the, the right priorities, right? You're not putting, you're not putting somebody into a partial denture unless you restored their teeth. You know, I mean, it's a simple yeah. one, right? Yeah, you know. I had that exact conversation, I think, last week. They're like, just want me to throw a denture in there. I'm like, 
I can't do this because, um, you know, you want a result at the end. You don't want just a denture. Um, you want to be able to chew and smile. And, you know, that's what I should be able to provide for you. But we have to follow a process to get there. You know, there's a destination. Let's walk that road to get there together. I, I also think, though, it's your responsibility. Like you can't abdicate certain things. Right. So, mm. in other words, you can't you can't say, well, listen, the, the patient said they wanted a partial. I made them a partial. Then when they, when they lost a tooth and you add a tooth and you add a tooth and the insurance company says, we're not paying for these things. And you, you can't go and yeah. say, listen, well, the patient wanted the partial first. Because the answer is mm-hmm. you as the caregiver should know that's not the proper sequence. Right. You yeah. can't just say oh, like x-rays, same thing. You can't say, well, the patient said I, I'm not allowing you to take x-rays. So I'm working without x-rays. So it's like, what do you want? From yeah. Me? Instead of saying, yeah, it's you know, like, do you want us to work blind? This is our responsibility. We can't really put that off onto the patient or the insurance company. Yeah. I mean, the patient's not going to have, obviously, our level of expertise, um, ex- education, sorry, or expertise. Um, expertise. And, uh, like and the insurance way. company. Expertise. Yeah, I add that. We can add that to the, the dictionary next year. But, uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah. They don't have the right expertation. And so, um, you know, when they're looking at things, they probably look up YouTube videos and get a basic idea of things. But like, you know, like if I'm going to build a bridge, like I know the basics of concrete, you know, I've poured some stuff before I fixed a mailbox, I had to make a base for it. Um, But I'm not going to know how to make a smooth floor or water drainage, you know, and the same kind of things with, you know, the health of their perio, um, you know, the bacteria levels in the mouth, you know, how acids, you know, their diet are affecting things, clenching, spruxism, you know, that's her job. That's why we went to school forever to know these things. And we shouldn't expect patients to, to understand that. And they're going to, you know, respond to things or, you know, they're going to react to a way that based on what they know and what they understand. And some of it, it has to be a certain amount of trust in us. And if they don't have that trust, that, that is a hard you know, bridge to cross where if like doc says, I need a bridge, I guess I need a bridge. And some patients are just fine with that. And some of them, you know, they, I remember one had an open margin and they're like, well, can't you just squirt a little cement? I can see the little edge on the x-ray. I'm like, well, no, I know there's a problem underneath the crown. Like, I know you can't see it on the x-ray. Um, I look at these all day, my eyes. I mean, I remember back in dental school, they're like, oh, there's a cavity here. I'm like, really? And then now you look at x-ray, it's like, bam, 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 bam. Your brain's like attuned to it. Um, to, to look for certain things. But I mean, the patient's just not. Um, and I sometimes talk with them, you know, I found out what the patient does. And if like, oh, maybe they're, um, I don't know, OSHA regulator or digital marketing or something like that. I, I mean, I know OSHA, what I need to know for the office, but one patient was an OSHA regulator for um, a factory nearby. And I'm like, I don't know anything about your job. I can't give any recommendations. I, I don't want to tell you how to do your job because you're going to do it better than me. And I hope you let me do the same for you. Um, because well, I think about these things way too much, and um, I want to provide that information to you. But you, you, what you're saying to me, which I a thousand percent believe, <clears throat> you got to meet the patient where they're at, and you got to find yes. what that level is, and you got to speak in their language, right? It's just mm-hmm. it's communication 101. So talk talk to us with writing the book. I know you said you've talked thought about writing the book. Go into some of your your thought processes, I'm sure, because you've had plenty of iterations of the of writing the book. Just go yes. into some of your thinking as you were putting the book together. 
So um, I know I mentioned this a lot on the first podcast, but kind of the foundation for my thought process and a lot of these is the theory constraints, the book, the goal we discussed a little bit, um, which is a collection of essentially looking at your business as a collection of inputs and outputs and wherever the bottleneck is, is going to control the capacity of the entire system. So to fix something that's not a bottleneck is just going to be a waste of time, um, maybe even cost you more in the end, but fixing that bottleneck, you know, is a whole constraint in the system. Um, So, you know, let's say you have a pack schedule and you can't get any patients more in, but you want to increase your production. So you spend more on marketing. Well, when patients call, like you're either not going to answer the phone or they'll be scheduled four months out. And so it's, that's like an obvious waste, but there's a lot of things, you know, in our office, you know, it could be accounts receivable. Maybe you're billing all these procedures, but you're just not collecting. Maybe your collections policy is too lax. Maybe you're not getting good patient information in. Um, so identifying your individual bottleneck is going to be the key aspect of this. Um, and how that relates to PPOs is I treat insurance adjustment as a marketing expense. Um, marketing slash sales, or, you know, kind of like you might think of um, care credit, you know, that write off if you use, utilize that. And so when you're shifting out of a PPO participation, you're really just firing a marketing company. That's all that's happening. Um, You might replace that with a different marketing company, Google ads, Facebook ads. Um, Also, you know, if your schedule is booked out, you can pull in from future appointments. Um, You know, if you have a really good reputation or adding additional procedures, you know, let's say you're referring out one doc did almost no extractions I talked to, very successful doc, three ops, um, was doing very well for herself, wanted to drop um, Delta Dental. I think it was 30, 35% of her production. Rest was either out of network or cash. So, you know, she was definitely making a nice transition to going out of network network, good reputation in the community, grew up there. Um, but then when I started doing the math and it's like, if you just keep these surgical extractions in and you keep like 40% of your patients, you're already at like break even. And so, you know, understanding some of these numbers is kind of the foundation of the book where we're not making emotional decisions because this is an emotional thing. You know, it's your baby, it's your office, it's your livelihood for your family. You know, people naturally kind of value a risk twice as strongly as a benefit. So, you know, losing a hundred dollars hurts twice as much as gaining a hundred dollars. And so my philosophy was. How about the docs that don't go into it, into the depth to really understand, right? How about a doc, probably a little bit like myself, who's not really buried in the numbers, Mm. but is like, you know, it feels like I see a lot more of these patients. It feels like I'm getting a little bit of this. And, 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 and you had, did you have to kind of say, Hey, listen, let's get into the numbers and kind of a forced discipline. And then all of a sudden, when you look at it, you get scared because you're like, Oh my God, I'm giving away 30, 40%, something like that. Is that a common thing that you see? So, I mean, when someone approaches me, they're probably already in position where they're fairly confident that they're in a somewhat safe position to drop a plan. You know, the ones that are more scared is, you know, if it is a bigger plan. Um, but some of the decisions I'm seeing people make, I feel like it is very emotional based. Like we were talking about before the recording, like that feeling of wanting to be busy. And like, if there's holes in the schedule, you get scared, even though you might be making more money. There was a doc in North Carolina reached out to me. This was a little while ago. And husband and wife team, wife was the dentist, husband was the office manager. He's the one who saw some of my posts and asked some questions. And they're in network with everything under the sun. They're booked up for three, four months. They can't get anyone in. And so I asked them a question you've, you, you've asked me before. So when that cash full fee patient calls you and you're booked up for four months, what are you saying? And, you're saying, and they're saying, oh, we put them on a wait list, blah, blah, blah. And so like the other one that you're 
getting 50 cents or 40 cents on the dollar. And that's not an exaggeration. And that's not just Medicaid, by the way. I've seen PPOs that pay worse than Medicaid. Sure. Um, I got at, and like that's, you know, so some people I feel like get a little judgy about that. But like, if you're in networks with some of these PPOs, they pay atrociously bad. Um, and Medicaid actually has some less headaches than regular insurance. You don't have the co-pays and some other stuff. But um, but yeah, he, he wanted to, you know, his wife was over, or making good money, wife was overworked not spending time with the kids, um, you know, just just not a good work-life balance. And so, you know, you want to talk about shifting. And then, but like, even after all the recommendations and I broke down the numbers, they're like, oh, we're still just going to hire an associate and give them 35%. I'm like, I don't know if you're even going to make a profit because if you're writing off this plus 35% to the associate plus your regular overhead, I'm like, I, I think for the chunk of these, depending on what the procedures are doing, like uh, you're not going to be coming ahead where a much simpler and easier option would just be evaluate your, you know, your patient base, almost look at it. I don't want to make it too cold with this, but like a stock portfolio where you're looking at the yield of different stocks uh, and then see like, okay, um, this, you know, this stock is making me 2% a year and this stock is making me 10% a year. Let's sell off this 2% stock and get more of that 10% stock. Um, and you can kind of look at the insurance participation in a similar way. It's like, I'm going to drop this 55% right off and then, you know, attract some cash patients, but also these other PPOs that are doing like a 20 or 30% write off. Um, but I just say, but I've, I've seen some other docs too that jump way ahead, way before they're ready. You know, Cigna, I remember hearing when they dropped their fee schedule, I think it was three, four years ago, a bunch of docs just dropped them. And I'm sure a lot of docs, that was a great decision, but other ones, if they don't know their numbers, they don't plan ahead with it they could have been jumping back in and it could have cost them a lot of patience, a lot of money, a lot of unneeded stress and anxiety. If you just, you know, plan ahead. I mean, we do treatment plans for patients. Um, you got a perio probe. You know, I, I see this the kind of thing. I want to check your office occlusion. I want to check your office perio probing. I want to check your office cavity risk essentially uh, before I, you know, would make a recommendation. And that's how I kind of try and create what I discuss. Okay. So, so let's go into let's go into your some of your samples now, or, or what we talked about. Okay, sure. So right so now we're going to go to folks just listening. We're going to go to a share screen on the video version, and, and Ben's going to put up mm -hmm. some some real live uh, information here, and uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, I'll let you run with it. As soon as Can it you see up? Yep. Okay. Can you see that, Sonny? Okay, so what this was, and if you're part of the fee-for-service group, you probably saw my post initially, is I um, reached out to some docs because I wanted to have some real numbers. I know my numbers really well, uh, but different scenarios, different problems, different areas of the country, um, different procedure mixes. Um, so I had them, you know, provide their data to me, and I provided a report somewhat similar to this. It was custom for each situation. Um, no money changed hands. Um, and, you know, on my side or their side, and, you know, they just provide their information and I did analysis for them and gave my guidance and recommendations. Um, so this is kind of like an average between them. Um, I had docs who were in network with like everything under the sun with zero marketing budget. Other ones more like this one. This is an example in network with four major plans. And then some docs were only in network maybe with one or two. Um, and then, you know, so obviously recommendations um, are a little different for each scenario. Okay, so our, our so my goal in, in network with four plans, okay. Yeah, Go four on. plans, and you'll see a pie chart later on, they'll give you a good breakdown of all that. Um, 
But I felt like that was somewhat of an average between the two extremes. So it'd be more useful mm -hmm. to, to your viewers or listeners. Um, so what I try to identify with these custom drop reports is um, I want to know which plans pay you how many cents on the dollar. And so we can identify which plan dollar for dollar is paying you um, less for your production. Um, so I don't just look at a blanket insurance adjustment, because if you look at that, you're probably going to say, oh, Delta Dental is my worst plan because, you know, I'm adjusting the most. Well, maybe they're 50% of your production, and that's really why you're seeing that you know high adjustment number where some other plan is only 10% of your production, but they're paying you much less. Um, so I always like to have a, it's based on the fee schedules and your full fee, how I do that in your top 20 most productive codes. Um, we, I look at a worst case scenario. So if we dropped a plan, you lost them 100%, what would be your monthly loss in revenue? Um, you know, obviously that's probably not gonna happen, but I like to have it in there. Um, let, let me, let what's me interrupt a likely you for risk? a second. Let me interrupt yes. you for one second. I want to I want to highlight what you just said because I think some people might have missed it. The top okay. twenty, the what you're looking at, not just straight percentages. You're looking at it in actual numbers, reality to the to the office in terms of their top twenty procedures. So if you're a heavy restorative practice, boom. If you're a heavy mm -hmm. uh, preventive hygiene perio practice, boom. They could be completely yeah. different things. Like if you're giving away, let's say you're giving away 75% on your crowns and you're not doing a lot of crown and bridge, it may mm -hmm. not be as relative as what's happening in your, your restorative fillings and, and your preventive care. So I think that was a huge point. I just wanted to, to emphasize that. Keep going. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of surprised. And part of this helps me too, because I can evaluate. It's like, oh, how do I want to change my procedure mix? Um, like for me, I see if I'm on a kid, so I'm giving pulp and crowns and space maintainers in the mix. That was in my top 20 codes. Right. The one doc I mentioned earlier, extractions, even simple extractions were not in her top 20 procedures. Um, she was a lot more bread and butter. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think she did endo either, but, uh, you know, just crown bridge fillings um, and then regular hygiene and scaling and stuff. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was very different than, and it's also good to see, like, if I can see profitability, it's like, oh, this office that's doing heavy on implants, it might be just as profitable as this one heavy on crowns. It's just a different business model and how you present, you know, treatment and what your skill set is. So I don't think there should be one box for everyone. You know, you don't have to have a exact ratio, 10% bridge, 20% dentures or whatever. Um, I, I, I don't believe in that. That doesn't make sense to me. Okay. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah. I based on my, your your top twenty codes, which is um, I can pull production numbers and stuff to to evaluate that. Yep. Um, the wor worst case scenario, the likely risk, and we'll get into that a little later. And then how to mitigate this risk? Because my main goal is to be one hundred and ten thousand percent sure you're going to make money on this decision. But I want you to overshoot that, so you're at this you're at a break even point, so you're doing well above that. But I do kind of go on it as you know, a risk mitigation strategy is my philosophy to make sure we're doing everything we can to prevent this from being a negative, which is going to end us be making it being a net positive for you financially as you drop out of these plans. 
Um, and I mentioned this to you, Sunny. You, you posted this quote, um, I think, after that first podcast interview. Um, and I do appreciate your, your little inspirational things. I look forward to those. Mm -hmm. um, I see them in my Facebook feed in the mornings. But um, I thought this was really appropriate for uh, dropping out of uh, PPOs. And it's a bird sitting on a tree is never afraid of the branch breaking because it trusts it's not, is not in the branch, but in its own wings. And so, you know, dropping up these insurance plans, you could think of that as almost a support for your office. If you were to remove that, I want to make sure you can soar and do fine um, and not just be plummeting to the ground like a baby bird, um, that we've done enough strengthening and conditioning of your office that when you do that, you can just fly to the next branch or, you know, just fly to wherever you want to be. Um, that's why, so for that's this why example, I, office, that's why I think, I think you can't be a hundred percent sure you have to go back to your trust in in your ability to do certain things i and i do think that a certain point you know initially probably yes when you're dropping some of the lower hanging fruit but i think as time goes on if your mindset is this is where we're going then i think there's going to be mm -hmm. some more down the road but you should also have a bunch of victories in your back pocket that help you believe in your systems, your office, your practice, and your 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 mindset. So keep going, Bill. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of attest to that, you know, as I've shifted out of insurance plans, um, you know, you'll you'll see, you'll you have those patients that leave. Um, sometimes they're glad that they left. Um, they were the more difficult ones, <laughs> um, but and then some of them leave. That might surprise you. Um, and then other ones they go someplace else and come back, which is kind of the more i think the most rewarding thing of this is because they've seen what else is out there and then they they're choosing knowing that you're you know more expensive they they've they, they're kind of you really know that they're um, identifying the value in you um if they've gone somewhere weren't as satisfied and then they want to come back um mm -hmm. and so you, you will ex experience that as well um but you know i don't want to you know i like to be so numbers focused because i don't want this to be an abstract i feel like this is the right thing to do I want to have, you know, a lot more confidence mm -hmm. in my decision because, you know, like I said, this is how I support my family. Um, right. and, you know, I, I have to I have to make sure it works. Um, you know, I can't just not make money for a year or something uh, because of a decision I made. Um, but anyways, so to for this example, office, just assuming it's a four op bread and butter office um, generates about 83,000 a year in production, not collections, um, which ends up being a million dollars a year. Um, the write-offs, which I'll go through some of the math in a second, is about seventeen thousand, and then collections are sixty-six thousand a month. Overhead is sixty-five percent of that sixty-six thousand, which puts it just under forty-three thousand. And so this doc is um, taking home twenty-three thousand a month, or two seventy-seven a year. Um, so they're certainly not doing bad. Um, you know, doing right, pretty but, well. But, but let's let's to, yeah. let's use exactly what you said. So in this situation. This person, this office is at a 35% profit margin based on these numbers. If you bring in an associate yes. and you pay him 35%, you're going to lose money because you're not going your overhead is going to go up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it, it just, it's just funny that that number came out. So again, folks, let me summarize it. Basically talking about doing a million dollars worth of work over the course of a year. But after you've taken mm -hmm. all the write-offs, you're down to about $800,000 a year, right? And the overhead now yes, amounts yeah. to forty three, you know, five hundred fourteen. So it's about a sixty five percent overhead. So it's nothing to sneeze mm. at. This this particular practice is still financially solvent. The doc's taking home two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year, but they are mm -hmm. giving back to 
uncollected amounts because of insurance, you know, the better part of $210,000, right? So, okay. Yeah. Keep going. Um, and you'll see with these write-offs, this isn't like an extreme example at all. Um, this is right. like a very moderate scenario. Yeah, like I was, gonna, I was thinking like, oh, I'll go more extreme. Yeah, I, I tried to just make it a very reasonable middle of the road kind of example. Um, yeah, and then honestly, for marketing. I think if, if you were to talk to a doc, listen, if you signed up for this, would you sign up? Would you be happy with this? I guarantee there's a lot of docs going to be very happy with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and some of that, uh, yeah, if that's their choice. But um, like I said, if given this scenario, which we'll go into more details, like this particular example, there's clearly a better way. Um, so marketing for this office, there uh, I consider PPO participation a marketing expense. Um, so I include that in here. They have a, they had a website, some Google PPC, so that's your pay per click ads, um, some Instagram and Facebook posting, but no ads. Good visibility and signage from a busy street. Um, you know I consider that marketing as well. Just you know even though you're not like paying for that each month. Um, mm -hmm. And then the doctor grew up in the local community, active in different organizations, sports, church, religious, and other charities. Um, and so they do have some connection um, with the local community. You can consider that something similar to ground marketing, you know, for additional word of mouth. And I didn't put it in here, but we can assume this office has been there, um, let's say eight to 10 years. Um, so they're, you know, somewhat established in the community, um, not just the doctor themselves, but the actual office, um, you know, they're, they're somewhat known. Procedure mix. So other than the bread and butter, you know, regular partial dentures, regular dentures, um, and, or sorry, complete dentures and uh, crown and bridge work and fillings, um, limited surgical extractions, no bone graphing at all, not even socket preservation. Um, some anterior and premolar endo, this was actually fairly selective though, they it had to be super easy. Um, some clear aligner therapy, um, you know, like Invisalign or something, restores implants but doesn't place them, and no sedation other than um, nitrous oxide. Um, so I'd say just like, again, a very bread and butter office, um, but this shows some opportunities to um, bring in some of these other procedures for if you're concerned about losing production from dropping out of a plan, these other procedures can help to um, fill in those gaps, you know, if you were to learn, lose a certain percentage of patients. Um, schedule, um, so the doctor's booked out for about two weeks, hygiene's booked out for 12 weeks, for, so three months. They're not pre-blocking for larger cases of doctor time. Um, there's no pre-blocking for new patients and emergency patients. Um, patients are told if they cannot get in quickly to call another office, um, which I, I've heard that more often than I would think, um, that the office, not just like they're letting it happen, but like they're telling their team just like, oh, tell them to call a different office. We're, we're busy anyways. You know, I was like, well, why aren't we pre-booking, you know, for these opportunities? But um, yeah, that came up more than I thought it would. Um, and this doctor tends to run behind, finish late, um, even though there's downtime throughout the day. So this particular doctor had a lot of stop and go where kind of they, the schedule was not planned out in a way to evaluate where all the resources were needed, like doctor time. Um, so this doctor would be double booked and then other times just be twiddling their thumbs. Um, and then because of that, they would get behind because um, obviously you, can, you can't be two places at once. I've tried that and it just doesn't work out too well. Um, this doctor's goals, um, they wanted to be home. They had kids eight and 10. Um, they wanted to be home um, 
for their kids' sporting events, um, help to drive them to their practice and whatnot and be involved in that. Uh, Want to maintain their current take-home pay. If they work less hours, that would be a plus, but not really necessary, or if they cut down on days as well. Um, but they're fine with working. Um, and this one I didn't say at the beginning was um, four and a half days a week um, for um, when they're actually mm -hmm. seeing patients. So Monday through Thursday, plus half day and Friday. Um, and the, the doctor were, is very worried about seeing a decrease in take-home pay and does not want to cut back on their lifestyle. Um, and the doctor does not want to add more staff operatories, um, you know, increase their production capacity. Um, so they don't want to add any more rooms. They don't want to add mm -hmm. a second location. Uh, they don't want to, and then, you know, this one, it also wouldn't be practical. They would, it would be a huge investment for them to increase their rooms where if, when we get down for their insurance participation, it's actually a much cheaper and easier option than trying to expand your capacity. Hmm. They want to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, and then, um, like I said earlier, this doc was in uh, four of the major yep. PPOs. I just named them PPO one, two, three, four, because um, yep. I don't want to get in trouble with the insurance companies. Uh, but these were based off of like some of the big names. I'll just say that much. Um, and this doctor wasn't very sure how much each plan represented, you know, in productions, collection, and all that. So, that you know, I can't talk report. to you guys without yeah. having my pretty graphs. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were saying? No, that was my earlier point. Sometimes they don't know the, the depth mm -hmm. of some of these things. So keep going. Yeah. So um, this graph in the upper left is what we... we we um, talked about initially where I look at your top 20 most productive codes and your full fee schedule. And this number represents um, how much you're collecting um, for every dollar you're producing. So for your full fee, obviously it's a one, you're getting our full fee. Um, this one, their worst PPO is getting 55 cents on the dollar. PPOs two and three is uh, 66 and 65 cents on the dollar. And PPO four is 80 cents on the dollar. Um, so all of them you're writing off quite a bit, you know, 20% still a lot, but um, obviously, I'd rather be writing off 20% compared to 45%. Um, and then the upper right, we have our insurance production. So raw production, not collections percentage. Um, and you can see with the PPO1, it's a little bigger than the other ones at 18%. Two and three are at 15%, and PPO4 is at uh, 12%. And then our full fee out of network patients is 40% of the practice of um, just raw production, not collections. Um, if I multiply these two numbers together, we get something I like to call an impact score. And so that gives you kind of a weighted ratio of how much um, each of these plans are affecting your collections. So obviously you're paying, something has a higher percentage production, but paying you less, it's gonna draw in less money. Or if something's a smaller um, portion of your production, but paying you more, then obviously it's gonna equal more revenue in the end. Um, and then those numbers can be converted into your impact percentage, which is a lot more useful. And this looks at a weighted average of all your different insurance plans and your out-of-network patients to see how much revenue they represent. Um, and if you notice here, um, I want to make this example where if you notice, they all represent around 12% of your collections, all your PPOs. Um, one of them represents 18% of production. The other one represents on the low end 12% of production. But if I was to drop all these plans, it still all has the same financial risk of revenue. Um, but obviously, if I open up, if I drop out that PPO uh, at one, that's actually more patients that can be converted to full fee. And also that could be more opportunities by opening up um, things in my schedule to pull other patients into those spots or get in those emergency or new patients. Um, 
Something I do also want to point out with this is we the full fee was 40% of our production, but it's 50% of our collections. Um, and so 40% of the work we're doing is equal to slightly over half the money we're bringing in, um, where the 60% of the work we're doing, you know, represents the same, you know, roughly 50% of the money we're bringing in. Is that all making sense, Sonny? It is. It is. I think it's interesting that okay. um, the way it's laid out, if you're not looking at this, obviously there's a difference mm -hmm. between a 55% of your fee and 80% of your fee. But then because mm -hmm. you have more people in the 55% payment range and less in the 80% yeah. range, it's now balanced down. So it's not, it's not a clear cut, which is the low hanging fruit. Uh, it, you know, it, it, which a lot of times it is, but it's not as simple in this scenario. So mm -hmm. keep going. Um, well, I, I don't know if I'd fully agree with that. So definitely on the the risk to the office is equal to all of them, but the the PPO one with the forty five percent write off, that would I would call in the scenario the definitely the low hanging fruit. Maybe not super low, but definitely the best opportunity to. Um, for something to drop because you don't want to drop, let's say that 80% write off one and then attract more of these other lower paying um, insurance plans. We want to, you know, shift into higher and higher fee schedules if at all possible. Well, I think that's an important point that another friend of mine has mm -hmm. made. Be careful when you start to drop one plan or another plan that you don't start putting other plans into those spaces that now are open Yeah, because you end up shooting yourself in the foot by bringing in mm -hmm. the less reimbursement one. So, okay, I agree yeah. with you on this 100%. So let's keep going. Okay. Um, so this, just you know, is gonna be kind of the baseline for some of our future you know, discussions and all that throughout this process. So what I create when I look to drop a plan is our weighted collections ratio. So if you looked at all those other percentages and how much we're collecting for each one, um, if we weight, the different uh, amounts of production with each of them. Our current situation, we're um, keeping around 79 cents on, on the dollar, um, if you look at all of them. Um, if we were to drop that first PPO and lost 100% of those patients, um, we would bring up to an 84.5%. Um, so if we're still producing that 800 or 8, yeah, 83,333, that million dollars in annual production a year, um, our new monthly production would go up to over $70,000, um, which would be increase of, um, was it $4,416 a month or 52,000 or just under 53,000 a year. So just dropping this one plan, if we can mitigate other thing, other loss of patients. So we're getting um, um, just not not 100% cash patients, getting the same kind of ratio from the other um, PPOs plus your current cash patients. We're looking at you know bringing an extra 52 or 53 thousand dollars a year um, without really changing what we're doing in this particular. And you're still saying you're, in this scenario, you're still saying you lose 100% of those patients. You're not even accounting for a certain percent sticking around. Well, no. So this one is assuming we'll we'll go to those other scenarios in a second. This is assuming you drop out of that other insurance plan and then you replace those patients with the remaining mix of your current patients. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, you're. So this is you know a little bit of like this is an absolute best case scenario, but this is you know a good more kind of ideal scenario. Sure. Um, and we'll I'll talk 
about ways to mitigate with this, but this isn't without increasing production at all. Um, you're just getting paid more for what you're doing. Um, and also remember this increase in revenue, your overhead shouldn't be increasing at all. And so this is, you know, just going to you or your team or your CE or, you know, wherever you want to put that. Well, simple math says, uh, right, you went from 79 to 80, mm -hmm. 85, you went up 5%. So 5% of a million dollars is $50,000. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's basically where that comes from. Um, mm -hmm. But I always, I like to point out whenever I do my calculations, I'm not assuming all of these patients are co converting to full cash. I mean, unless you're dropping your last PPO, then, then that's mm -hmm. different. I just assume you're getting whatever you've always right. been getting. Uh, sure. And so I think that's the most fair and balanced way to do it. I mean, you do run the risk of just getting uh, replacing them all with a different PPO, which, you know, if it's paying you better, that's not great, but that's that's better than you're at. Um, and you can, you know, progressively just, you know, keep dropping off the lowest. So in this particular example, so this is a break even without replacement. So that means you don't have patients coming in to replace this gap. You would need to keep just 55 percent of these patients from this plan to break even. So slightly more than half. Um, which I think that when I gave this kind of number to people, it really surprised them how low they had to keep with some of these plans um, to just hit their break even. Because um, obviously all the ones that are, are you're retaining, you're getting full fee for. Um, and then if you lose 50%, so half, we're looking at $633. Um, I go through some different numbers here. Worst case scenario, you're losing um, just under seven grand a month. So that would be if you lost all your patients, um, you couldn't fill in that gap with anything else. Um, you just had a bunch of holes in the schedule. You would lose, you know, seven grand a month. So that is like your absolute worst case scenario, uh, <coughs> given this particular situation. And then uh, moving forward, I'm going to actually use some examples looking at this 30% retention rate, which I would call pretty low. And this example, you would lose around $3,100 in revenue um, each month um, if you only kept 30% of the patients. Uh, so obviously 70, you know, went someplace else. So if we only have 30% retention, um, we have that weighted average of 0.845 that we mentioned before that 85% you said, um, we can use that number to figure out how much revenue or production we have to replace to mitigate this loss. Um, and so, cause you have to, you know, if you're producing one number and collecting another number, you have to produce a little more. So for this ends up being 3,750. And so the question now is not how do I keep 100% of these patients? You know, if I'm assuming only 30% retention, which is low, really low, kind of a, not a worst case, but a very bad case scenario, how can I replace this revenue? You know, what procedures can I add in? What additional marketing can I do to, to replace this? Um, and that, you know, that's what we'll go through in a second. So um, if we look at this example, adding a surgical extraction at um, for our full fee is going to be $380. So if I add in 9.87 surgical extractions, we're, we're taking care of that. If our clear liner fee is at $4,500, I just need 0.83 units of clear liners a month. So not even a full new case a month. Um, if we're adding in that molar endo, we just need to do an additional 3.32 units of molar endo a month. So these aren't like massive amounts of extra production you're trying to work in. So, you know, even if you take some courses and you're just kind of adding some more of these procedures in, you know, not doing every most difficult surgical extraction or every crazy molar endo with a J-shaped root and root and calcified canals, like just the bread and butter ones, um, you, you don't need to replace that with a whole lot. 
And I like to focus on things that you're referring out initially because you know how many of those cases are coming through your door. And so if you're referring out 10 cases a month of endo, and let's say you can keep five of them in-house after increasing your training, well then like, okay, I'm even with our worst case scenario, we're replacing our production um, easily in that scenario. Um, so, and then you can, there's also things like if you're looking to add sleep apnea, Botox, all these other things, those can be great, but there's a lot more uncertainty with that because you don't, you would have to learn what kind of marketing attracts those patients, how to present those cases, if you need to start getting before and afters. Um, so I, I do like to initially focus on, you know, things that we're currently really referring out because then we can look at your current procedure mix and see, you know, what would be an easy thing to keep in-house. Um, so for this particular doctor, um, I recommended some additional CE for uh, surgical extractions. Um, I'm still referring out a lot of third molars and anxious patients um, to try and collect, uh, get more clear liners, um, and get more photos before and afters for their future marketing, because um, that'll take some time to build up. Um, this particular doctor was not interested in learning any more about molar endo or for implants at all. Um, and so I figured it was better to focus on the procedures they wanted to learn. Um, and they're also referring out. So it just kind of made sense on a financial level as well. Um, for scheduling, um, definitely start pre-blocking and that time needs to be sacred. You know, the team cannot just fill that in to allow for uh, more new patients, those emergency patients and longer blocks of doctor time, you know, like a two or three hour block of time for, you know, a larger crown and bridge case. Um, or if you're doing, let's say, you know, an endo core and crown all back to back or um, multiple procedures at once, um, implement something I talk about in the book called um, the hybrid scheduling method. Um, and you create these times tables. So there are little tables that show when the doctor is needed for each appointment. So the scheduler knows when to uh, position and stagger appointments. So the doctors kind of move in evenly throughout the day, even though you will see some gaps in the schedule. But if you look at where the doctor is actually being utilized, because he was the bottleneck in this example. Um, that he, he's just moving consistently throughout the day instead of trying to rush and then wait, rush and then wait throughout the day. He'd rather just have them kind of at a steady jog than doing a bunch of sprints. Um, for marketing, um, increase their PPC budget. Um, like I said, insurance expense, I do feel as a marketing expense. And so by replacing this with, um, you know, paid um, Google ads, you know, to mitigate that loss of patients, we can kind of replace that as well more targeted marketing um, using Facebook and Instagram for their ideal audience for that procedure. Um, I feel like Google's particularly good for emergency procedures because people are going to just say, you know, broken tooth dentist near me. Um, and so that's uh, if you're trying to get surgical extractions or, you know, crack teeth for future crowns, um, th that's been really easy, you know, a good, a good option, very cost effective. Um, and then start also bringing up clear aligners for all your patients that might be at least somewhat interested in it. Um, you know, not be over aggressive or salesy in it, but just make sure they're aware that you offer this because um, this office, they, the, um, a lot of the patients didn't realize it was an option and they're actually going to other places to get this done. Some of them, you know, from Bite or those online sources um, and we're not getting the best results um, where they would have been happy if this doctor did it, but they just didn't bring it up. Um, and then for dropping plans, um, so we want to have a target drop for this one and a six month time frame. So we're going to start talking to patients for three months um, and start sending out letters. Um, 
And then when you do go to drop a plan, it's not necessarily a fast process. Insurance company is going to hem and haw. It's going to be hard to talk to the right people. I find it's better if the doctor calls instead of a team member. You kind of cut through the bureaucracy a bit faster. And then they'll put it between a 90 or 120 day waiting period before you actually be at the network. So that's why you want to notify them, you know, a good three months before you you actually plan on being at a network. Um, so that way you can, you know, have all the paperwork lined up. You wouldn't want to wait till six months and then, um, you know, try and drop it then because then you're adding an extra three months to this process unnecessarily. Um, sometimes you'll get counter offers from insurance companies. Um, so, you know, if you go to drop a plan and they have multiple tiers, so PPO and Premier, uh, Cigna's got at least two tiers. Anthem, I think, has three um, that they might start pushing for you to um, drop out the lower tier and keep the higher tier. This makes a lot of confusion for your patients. I would only really recommend this if it's a really big plan. Um, so for most people, that's going to be your Delta Dental going from PPO to Premier. But if you're all these other plans, it's it, patients are going to be really confused. You're going to get bad reviews and your fee schedule is going to go up just slightly. Um, so if you're ready to drop, I, most of the times I just say drop. Don't don't start dropping out of these lower versions of these plans because it just makes it really confusing. Um, also, when you go to drop, sometimes insurance companies will offer you a better fee schedule. Uh, make sure it's if you're if it is that it has to be a bigger increase than your other PPOs. In that case, you could consider um, dropping out of one of these other PPOs, but keeping this one at a better fee schedule. Um, still long term, you're going to be looking to drop it, uh, but it could make sense to drop that one. You know, one of the other ones in the short term. If it's not that much of an increase, just you know, just drop that PPO that you planned on dropping, um, and then kind of just move ahead. Um, and then long-term plan for this office is drop the plan and kind of wait for the dust to settle, see how the schedule pans out. Um, and then, you know, if the schedule is still looking pretty good, you know, reevaluate for the next one to drop, you know, a few months from now, um, you know, if you're not seeing a bunch of holes in the schedule. Um, yeah, so that's it for this. This is based on a, a handful of docs that reached out to me from the fee-for-service group, um, kind of to give a kind of common scenario I saw. Um other docs my, my, that were, you know, oh, sorry. My suggestion would be though, if you're committed to doing it, and this is where you, you have that mm -hmm. mindset, go back to being committed to doing it. I think, let's say you, you take this scenario, you decide January, listen, we're gonna get out of network. So you're gonna try, try to get out by July. My thought would be mm -hmm. while you're doing that, if you're real, if, uh, in this scenario, they got four plans, right? And, and the mm -hmm. impact in, in terms of your impact score was similar. So it's not really yeah. like an easy, obvious pick this one. So I think yeah. once you're settled into the thought process and you and you have that mindset, I'm not going back and burning the boats. I think you mm -hmm. pick a schedule and you say, okay, this is in this this section. And then in the next 12 months, we're going to do this one. So that over the course of two to three years max, you're completely free because you don't want to hem and haw and, and be wishy-washy overall, I think, for what you want mm -hmm. to do. So if that's your intention and that's your plan, I think you you carry it out. And I, I don't think you'll have any regrets from from the people that yeah. I've spoken to and the people who've done it. And and it does. You get confidence. You get you get that mm -hmm. that feeling of we're doing the best things for our patients. And now you're conveying that message to your patient. It's not the money. We're doing what's best for you. And, and you can clearly start yeah. to explain it. Uh, that mm -hmm. goes a long way because they trust you, ultimately. 
Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Some of these things I brought in, it's because I got certain pushback or questions from other docs, um, you yeah. know, that are going through the process. They still have that fear and anxiety. Um, so like the fee negotiation thing or that partial drop thing, I've seen a lot of docs do those partial drops and then they have this huge mess of insurance plans and even their front can't say what they're in network or out of network with because we're in this like specific version of Cigna or MetLife or he dropped out of the federal plans but kept the PPO and the patients don't know what they have. And some of the plan, I had a MetLife patient who was very mad. We were at the time still in network with the PPO and they had a weird federal plan and everything looked fine on the plan. But we until we got an EOB back, we didn't realize we we're actually out of network with this federal plan. But for having a network with MetLife, it's very cut and dry, and we can be very upfront with patients. Um, you know, their patients don't feel like we're we're trying to bait and switch them, saying we're in network and we're not. It's just clear yeah. we're out. Um, and and you know, kind of to what you're saying, you know, having a schedule with that. I had one of my assistants ask, you know, when are we going to drop another plan? When are we uh, drop another right. plan? Because um, they're kind of excited to see the progress and and seeing us be like more exclusive and. And stuff like that. And I, I do like to say, like, I let the schedule tell me what to do. And so as we drop the plan, you know, because if if we see a bunch of holes in the schedule and then we have a lot of fear and it kind of traps us, my, you know, if I see holes in the schedule, my first thought is not to add an extra PPO back in. It's, okay, what do we, you know, what internal marketing can we do? Um, can we just reach out to patients who need procedures like that we couldn't see beforehand because we're overbooked and just fill in those holes, like overdue recalls? Or um, what additional marketing can we do? Or what procedures can I add in? And, and use those as my replacement methods, not a discount. How, how about just learning better skill sets where in the past, maybe you're not bringing patients up or working on a call list. You're just used to people just filling in because they're coming from the insurance companies. So you, you never had to mm -hmm. do that. So now your, tr your team has to learn different skill sets Oh, someone's open today. It's two o'clock on Wednesday. What's who, who's coming in next week at two o'clock Wednesday? Let's see if they want to come this week. Uh, you know, or just some yeah. of those skills. And then when you're scheduling, scheduling with a thought in mind, how can we shape our schedule going forward? So I think that's another component here that, that may be um, downplayed, you know? Yeah. So like I said, it's a, there's some good graphs for it in the book, but the, a method I, I call the hybrid scheduling method, which is a combination of, um, it's a hybrid because it's three different um, systems that I merge together. Um, we have block scheduling, which I think most people have heard about, your pre-blocking time, your primary, secondary, tertiary. If you've heard like rock, boulder, sand, those yeah. examples where you want to put in those, those more high-value patients first and then those smaller ones. Because those high-value patients are usually long stretches of time, particularly long stretches of doctor doctor time and if you only have 30 minutes here or there you're not going to do a four unit crown and bridge case like you can't you just can't you can't cut that up into four 30 minute slots um so if you pre-block that time and treat it as sacred um, which is another thing that surprised me how many people would pre-block and their front desk would just delete it um, and nothing would happen so some of it is like a management thing like are you being firm and consistent right. with your team you know if it's two days away and your pre-blocks aren't full fine put them in with whatever um, and then I create something I, I like to call a times table, which is a, a little table for each procedure for how much chair time you need. And then it marks when the doctor's actually needed. So that way your front desk knows like, oh, if I'm cementing a crown, it might be 30 minutes, but the doctor's only needed for five, 10 minutes in the middle. 
Um, or, you know, let's say I'm doing Crown and Bridge, the assistant's going to scan, the assistant's going to take the impressions, the assistant's going to take the shade and apply topical. The doctor's not in there for the very beginning of that <clears throat> procedure. So the doctor can be doing something else. But if you try and put, you know, two crowns right at eight o'clock, you're going to have someone being mad. But if you have them, um, you know, let's say, let's say you give an hour and a half for a Crown and Bridge case, and the second one comes in at 8.45, 9 o'clock. So you're finishing up that one, assistant's making the temp or whatever. Um, and dismissing the patient, and then you have another assistant, you know, but like you will see holes or gaps in the schedule, but you're really not because of the schedule. And this one is being constrained by the doctor um, and where their time is at. Um, you know, you'll see like an endodontist might have one or two chairs because they have to be in the room for all their procedures or for a uh, general dentist with more hygiene, or if you're just doing simple fillings, you know, you can pop in and out kind of quick. Um, and so kind of optimizing some of your schedule and some of these systems, um, based on, like I said, the theory constraints, because another factor, which is the theory constraints aspect of it, is how much treatment plans you're generating versus how much you're consuming. Um, so I've seen docs go into like a feast and famine cycle where they panic, they do all this marketing to try and get the schedule full, they get booked up, they ease up on the gas and like recalling patients to come in. And then all of a sudden they're, they've ran through a bunch of their treatment plans, but they've not been focusing on generating new ones. And so by cut, you know, figuring out how much treatment plan you're generating that's, you know, likely to be done. Um, I call that an acceptable treatment plan, not accepted, but acceptable. Um, you know, not your full treatment plan because some people just aren't going to do things or not afford to or it's going to be spread out. But um, so that way you're, you're, you're kind of at like more of an even keel and not feast and famine as much mm -hmm. by looking at how much treatment plans you're generating and what you're doing to generate those things and do those even when you're kind of busy. So that way you don't have those lulls laid on, you know, always keep a little bit of pressure on your schedule to, you know, be filling it. So if something bad does happen, you know, a bunch of patients get sick, you, you've got other ones to just shuffle in there. Folks, Get Ben's book by the time this podcast is released. It will be out on Amazon. The Dropping Dental PPO Playbook. Okay. And as you know, you heard Ben speak. It's well thought out. It's strategic. And it is solid fundamentals behind it. So, again, Ben, I want I to thank you. That. This is great stuff. We have, you know, you really gave a, a really good flavor of the book. And anybody that's heard you speak or follow some of the things that you're doing knows, you know, your your breadth of knowledge is tremendous. So I want to thank you for coming on. Appreciate you very much. Thanks. Um, if I could. Oh, sorry. Can I yep. just mention one quick thing before we get off? Um, and Please so do. the book is meant to be comprehensive for you to start your dropping PPO process. Um, there is a link in the back that if you do want to have me look at your situation and do an analysis and give analysis and give recommendations on your specific situation, um, that is a service I will be offering. Um, that's all kept private. It's very just one-on-one -on -one and confidential. Um, but the book is meant that you can really get started on your own without having to have me directly involved. Um, but yeah, there's a link and additional information in the back of the book if you're interested in that. Yes, I, I knew that you were doing that, so that's a that's a great service, folks. I know I know people that have benefited from this, and and Ben is the perfect person to talk to. So, and you could tell it's a hands on appreciate that hands on experience. So, thank you. Right. Today's well, I enjoyed podcast. being on. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just said I enjoyed being on. It's always great talking to you, um, and I you know I look forward to us talking again sometime in the future.
You got it. Thanks, Beth.